I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, one and all, to episode 239 of the Mars Attacks podcast. Today's episode features the return of John Bush. I've had John on the show many times over the years, and it's always great to talk to him. Uh, I was asked recently, who's the biggest person you've ever spoken to? And I always say, well, I don't know if it's the biggest person I've spoken to, but probably The person that I've enjoyed interviewing the most over the years is John Bush. Uh, He's it's always worked out that he's been on like landmark shows just for various different reasons. I can listen to some of those episodes and and think about what was going on in that time period and whatnot. And and this happens to be the 12th anniversary of the show this past weekend. Um, And it. Wasn't like that by design at all. I saw that they were releasing, that Armored Saint was releasing a, a live album and reached out to their publicist, uh, Nikki Law, who's always been great to me. Over the years, she's been the greatest PR person for me. I hope I'm not jinxing myself here. Uh, anyway, but regardless whether she's been at Century Media or Metal Blade or now, she just started her own PR company called... Uh, breaking the law PR. She's been great. If I've asked her to interview people, she's always been gracious enough to allow me to speak to them. Anyway, the interview with John does start up at the 10 minute mark. I do want to say that there's a lot of cool things that we talk about. We talk about being involved in the anthrax 40 documentary. We talk about that anthrax 40 live stream that took place after, um, the reissues of his era of the band, uh, the, the albums have come out on vinyl for the first time, at least officially in the States, there's, you know, something that I do discuss regarding that with him, but, uh, it's interesting because years ago he was interviewed on Jamie Josta's show and he talked about not receiving royalties for some of those albums or that there were things that needed to be adjusted regarding that. So he kind of brings up the same topic during this episode. And I think it's really cool to hear some of what he discusses. Uh, he also talks about reissuing some of uh, Armored Saints albums, doing a Metal Allegiance show, which just took place this past weekend. So the interview takes place right before that show. And obviously we talk about the new Symbol of Salvation's live album which is great. I've been lucky enough to see the screener for it and it looks and sounds awesome. I'm not saying that to blow smoke up anyone's ass. If you listen to me over the years, you know that I really say what I feel about things. And if I didn't think this was a cool album, because let's be honest, there are a lot of bands that put out live albums and you listen to them and it's like, eh, yeah, they did this for a paycheck. The Armored Saint album sounds really good. And if you're a fan of the band, you know that they're, you know, it's not one of these things where they're just kind of cashing a check and going through the motions. It sounds really awesome. So I do recommend you picking 
picking the album up. I've pre-ordered it on both Blu-ray and vinyl, but you know. Uh, anyway, I do get to talk to Joey Vera today, so uh, that should be interesting. If you happen to listen to this and you want to join us live, just so you know, the, what I did with them, I usually do my live streams on Fridays, but they, were, they weren't available at the times that I usually do the show. So you're given the opportunity to interview guests that are always fun to talk to. You're not going to say no. <laughs> I couldn't say no. So I worked around their schedule and we're making it happen. So if you do want to check out the live shows, uh, there is a link right there on MarsAttacksRadio.com that says subscribe to the show. And there's links to all 14 platforms where the show goes out live. And, you know, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, so on and so forth. Uh, you can listen live on Mixcloud as well if you're driving and don't want to be looking at a screen, obviously. You can listen to it live there. Uh, the show usually takes place 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. in the UK. And for those of you on continental European time, it is midnight Friday going into Saturday. For those of you in Melbourne, Australia, who want to listen live, it's 8 a.m. Found that after found that out after interviewing Nick from the uh, Ugly Kings a few episodes ago. Anyway, the live stream is a troll-free environment. We do have the diehards, who are usually people that I have up on Patreon. We'll get to that in a second. And then there are people that come in because they want to check out what a guest is saying. And sometimes we're lucky enough to have the guest tweet out or post on their social medias that they're going to be on the show. And we attract people that aren't normally there, which is cool. And I get it. They're just there for that person and maybe don't check back in. But there are others that do come back for more, which is kind of awesome as well. Uh, one of the perks of being a patron is that I allow you to ask questions first before anyone else. I do field questions from the chat during the live show, but if we don't have time, I make sure to get those patron questions in first. Then I go out to the general audience per se. And, you know, Patreon is as little as two bucks a month. It's, it's not that much. You get a ton of, uh, video content. You're able to ask questions. You are able to get the album of the week video, uh, which is exclusive to Patreon. And you get my podcast, the Victor M. Ruiz podcast, which is where I talk about behind the scenes stuff and talk about metal news and things like that. So if you're into that sort of thing, two bucks a month gets you in. No one's holding a gun to your head, obviously. But if you can spare it and you enjoy what I do here, check out what I do there. And if you don't like it, you could always quit. <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, anyway, I do want to send a shout out to my dirty dozen patrons here. We have Twisted Steve Hoker. We have Jeremy Weltman, who usually does patrons picks where he takes an album from the new releases uh, post that I do every Friday. 
and he takes one of the albums that I don't feature and he adds it or he makes his own clip, which I add to the podcast. He's on vacation this week. So um, he'll be back shortly. There you go. Mike Jones, who has a question asked during this episode, Brad Dahl of Yarg Metal, who joined us live and threw some questions out there for uh, John Bush as well. Mark Striegel from the Talking Metal podcast. The Metal Dentist, Gabriel Ruiz. Chris Vaglio of the Chris and Amanda show. And he's my co-host for the currently on hiatus Galaxy of Geeks podcast, the other show that I do. And let's see, Jose Ruiz. Jose from Connecticut, as I refer to him on the show. Jerry from Long Island. Metal Dan out there on the West Coast. Rob Rowe from the Rock and Row podcast and Johan up in Sweden. Thank all you guys for your support and thank you guys for listening to this show. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to check out the episode. Hopefully you subscribe or come back to one of the live shows. Partake. We welcome all types of music fans, music nerds like myself, and it's always fun to interact with you guys. So if this episode calls out to you for all the good reasons, not for being crap or anything like that, I, um, you know, I open a door and, and welcome you into the, the family per se. Anyway, hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe, share, like us. All that great stuff. Go to MarsAttackRadio.com to find out all the great links. And let's jump on into the interview. Welcome, one and all, to a special edition of the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast and VMRIT web design. Uh, If you listen to my podcast... At the beginning of every show, you'll actually hear uh, this clip. I should have had this queued up, and it's this. Let's do it. That is Mr. John Bush. Uh, many years ago during one of my interviews where, um, where I got to interview you and you, we did, I think, an ID, and you added that. And um, I think about three, four years ago, I interviewed Joey, and, and he actually did. I'm ready. He did. I'm ready. So I, at the beginning of every podcast, I have John Bush saying, let's do it. And Joey Vera saying, I'm ready. So. Nice. Do we get paid royalties for that? Oh boy. Here we go. (laughs) I know. I'm joking. Um, It's funny. I used to, there was a phrase that I, I had for a while amongst a group of friends and, and my wife, also, you kind of reiterated it, and it was like, let's do it! So, you know, it, it was probably a drunken kind of battle cry that that <laughs> I, I did I, before maybe having a shot or something. So it, that, that sounds very familiar to me. Um, it's funny. I even sound a little bit like I had a couple drinks before I did that, but I don't know what time of the day it was when we did the interview. Hopefully not. But anyway, good to be here, man. Awesome. Um, it is great to for the, the beginning of the uh, the intro. I like that. That was cool. That was a cool group. 
That's something that I actually wrote. That's, um, yeah. Um, well, with all the stuff now with royalties and whatnot, you know, I had bands saying, oh, you can use my music. You can do this. You can do that. And as Spotify started kicking shows off, uh, because they featured music and whatnot, even after like Metal Blade and whoever would say, yeah, sure, play a song, no problem. But without written consent, all these platforms were kicking bands off, or kicking podcasts off. So I said, screw it. I've got this music. It's been lying around for I don't know how long. No one's going to complain about it. Well, they could complain that it's shitty, but they're wow. not complaining. I like it. I was grooving to it. It sounded cool. So awesome. That's that's a huge accomplishment. And I will say that was for a a project that I wanted to put together because someone that I had dated many years ago was dying from uh, Huntington's disease. Oh, wow. and, I don't even know what that is. Uh, it's similar to like ALS. It's a neurological disease that you lose all function. And her mom had it. She had it. And now her her two brothers have it as well. Oh my God, that's terrible, man. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. The reason that I bring this up is because you're wearing a Hades t-shirt. Alan Tecchio is the only person who I reached out to who I said, hey, I'm doing this. Obviously, these are demos. This isn't that great, but I intend on getting musicians together who can play this stuff. Um, I'll drum on it, but I'll get a real guitarist to play on a real bass player, so on and so forth. Alan, would you be interested? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, how much do I have to pay you? He's like, I don't care. Just whatever. So he was the only person out of anyone that I reached out to that was actually cool enough to say, whatever you need, I'll do it. So Wow. How random is that that I happen to be wearing this shirt? Alan and I used to be pen pals back in the day. Like, oh, wow. uh, when people actually wrote letters to one another. So I know I've known him for years. I haven't seen him in a long time, but I, I've known him for years. So. He actually lives um, a town over from where I grew up in New Jersey. So, yeah. uh, right. how random. Yeah, it's actually, I've said to him many times, I go, next time I'm back in the States, uh, we need to actually hook up for, even if it's five minutes, to just say hello. So, oh, so where are you if you're not in the States? I'm in Spain, actually. Oh, so. I, maybe, is that where you, are, are you Spanish from descent or? My folks are from over here. I was born in the States and in the about um, uh, late 2003, I moved over here uh, to Spain. Oh, cool. uh, what city? Uh, outside of a city called uh, Santander, uh, the closest like big city that's that would have shows is Bilbao, which is about 40 yeah. minutes away. I uh, back in the day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I love Spain. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a great country. It's a lot of fun, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I always remember Joey telling me that the only thing that he couldn't get used to was the time at which people ate over here. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a, it's a crazy world over there. You know, let's go to dinner. It's midnight. Let's do it. Cool. The, the clubs are opening. It's 3 a.m. Let's go. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't gel with my life now because my life now is, Waking up at 7 a.m. and taking my kids to school. So um, I'd be hard-pressed to to work under the Spanish uh, party hours. But uh, I always love it when I'm there. I mean, there's really no there's no better place in the world than, than Spain, really, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. As far as, it's just as far as the vivid love for life. And, you know, people in South America kind of inherited that, too, especially like Argentina and Chile. But um, 
you know, Spain just, they just, they like to rock, man. You better be ready. Yeah. Last thing to uh, add regarding that. One of the first festivals I ever saw over here, it was actually um, Dio's last tour before he passed away. It was a solo tour. Kiss came on after them, or yeah, after Dio. And then after that was Saxon. And Biff Byford says, only in Spain can we go on at quarter to three in the morning. Wow. Wow. That's when they went on? That's when they went on. 2.45 a.m.? And they played for an hour. That's insane. And probably was packed. It it absolutely was. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So um, anyway, it's interesting that I also see you where you are now, because if if I recall correctly, during these Anthrax 40, um, the documentary where you were featured, some of the footage was shot right where you are now, correct? Yeah, it's, a, it's an office that, you know, my wife is a casting director and she's had a casting studio for, well, this place we've been here 13 years. Sadly enough, we're actually having to leave next month, which is... Uh, a daunting circumstance that I'm probably in a bit of denial about. And so is she, but, um, but nevertheless, we, I've been packing as we go and we've been here for 13 years. It's a pretty big place. So um, it's a big uh, effort here involved. Um, but yeah, you know, it's where I am. I, I'm sorry. Sometimes the ba- I mean, the window's cool. Well, the, win- the window's cool. And then this is a shelf of just stuff. And I don't know, but it's just, it's where I sit, you know, it's my, my office. And yes, I did do a lot of the anthrax. Uh, documentary stuff from here. So I'm, I'm comfortable here. I come in the morning, like I'll, my kids go to school down the street. So I'll take them to school and, um, and then I'll come and I'll say, you know, before we begin the day of work and um, like I've been preparing for, we're doing a Metal Allegiance show this uh, Saturday, actually in um, New York. I'm leaving tomorrow and um, it will be my first live gig in a, since, well, I don't remember actually, but um, I think when Saint did some shows with UFO or the Mega Cruise, I think it was the last show I did in front of human beings. Um, but I'll be fun, and I've been like coming every day and preparing because we're playing a bunch of songs and I had to learn some things, and um, you know because we play lots of different stuff. So I've been I've been working tirelessly here preparing for that. Awesome. Um, the reason that I. I usually start with the Armored Saint and then do the Anthrax stuff last, but I figured I'd flip the sw- the, the script a little here. Uh, I just have two Anthrax-related questions. Because to me, I saw that series, and I was kind of bummed uh, to the extent that I felt that there was kind of revisionist history done when it came to your history in the band because there wasn't really an acknowledgement of you doing any of the big four shows there was also no acknowledgement of the possibility of you being involved uh in the um uh album that joey ended up singing on on um on uh i just on worship music jeez i had my notes screwed up here yeah, worship music, that was the first record yeah uh-huh. yeah so there was kind of like no acknowledgement about you being part of of either one of those things Uh, So it kind of bummed me out that it it felt to me as a fan that there was kind of some revisionist history done, because to me, that's kind of a crucial point in the band's history where there was kind of a tug of war going on between whether you were going to be involved, whether Joey, whether Corey Taylor, whether Dan Nelson, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff there that they kind of just skipped over. So, again, I just found it kind of weird. 
Well, hmm, how do I respond to that? Um, are we talking about the the documentary that they just yes, and they did and they did a live stream the 40th anniversary live stream too. Right. Did you see that? I saw parts of that, and that was another thing I was going to say. Yeah. You know, they're setting up. They show you. They show Paul Crook. They show Dan yeah. Lester, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to kick so much ass. All these guys are going to come back. We're finally going to get four or five songs from the Bush era, you know, to cap everything off. And, and, and let's be honest, these live streams are not live, you know, they're recorded beforehand. So it's not as if they couldn't have, you know, scheduled each person to come in and done it over a series of, you know, a few days. I don't know how logistically that, you know, how much that would have cost and whether that would have made sense or not, but it seemed like they were setting us up for that. And all of a sudden when, you know, the, the live stream went off at like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. So I was like, all right, I'll watch it the next day. And of course, it's all it's all over the Internet. Like, OK, um, they, they essentially said that Chuck D was the only guy that really was the only real special guest. I was like, well, they kind of set us up for this whole big thing. And it just kind of never happened. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, let me just say that the documentary was really cool. That was a, that was a great thing. I think that they did. And uh, obviously I was involved in that and I thought it was really uh, unique how they did every record. They really went through every single album and that was really cool. And all the people involved in it. Um, and I was, I was pleased and happy that I was part of that. The live stream thing, I, you know, whatever, you know, they, that's what they decided to do. And, um, you know, it's, it's neither here nor there in terms of my participation. I'm not too concerned about it. Um, and, or, or not hurt either. So, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It's no big deal. Um, so the documentary was important because obviously that it was touching on the, the history of those songs and the, those records. And, um, you know, like I said, I was happy to be part of that and I had a lot of fun doing it. So, you know, live streams, whatever. I mean, live streams to me anyway, I'm over it. You know, I know it sounds terrible. We did one with Saint. It was fun. I, I enjoyed it. I was glad we did it, especially right after Punching the Sky came out because, you know, we couldn't play. So we had to do something. But, um, I, you know, and, and granted, we're trying to give fans and, and people something, obviously, and, and, and kudos to that. But, um, you know, I don't necessarily need to do another live stream personally. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was cool. Did it. I'm ready to play in front of people. <laughs> like a normal rock band. So, um, you know, who knows? We'll see. But I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Already. All right, cool. Yeah. I think the, the documentary overall was, was awesome. And it was funny because I think the episode before it was either, it was one of your era albums. It took longer to come out. And I was thinking, fuck, I hope they continue with this because, you know, we, I've talked to this at length with you in the past, you know, we've done a storytellers episode on anthrax and we've talked about your, your era in the band, that stuff, I mean, hit me at a certain point in time where there's a very emotional connection to that. Um, so it was important to me that your era get represented and, and get talked about. And I do think that outside of that one thing, and maybe that's just me being an ass and wanting more within the documentary, but, um, I do think that, it was great that nonetheless, all of those albums were touched upon. 
Yeah, and you know, Megaforce has reissued uh, some of those records, including Volume Eight, which I'm super happy about. Actually, I've, I've received some royalty checks lately, so I've been pretty stoked. Um, and that's all I ever really wanted, you know. In my association with Anthrax, my whole thing was just let it be available. Like, you know, who's better? What era is better? This and that. I mean, nothing really will ever compare to the '80s Anthrax in terms of the uh, it being so fresh and new and unique, and and when they came out and um, you know, the 90s is the 90s and it changed and everything went with it and they brought in a singer and it, it was it was a cool transition, you know, in retrospect and I was part of it and I always excited about those years and, um, and my contributions and I love those records. But um, there was a period of time where they just were not available. Like I would go to Amoeba here, record store in here in LA, the big one, which is one of the few at this point. And I would look, you know, browse as I'm looking for records. And of course, I would look through my own stuff because I'm well, you know, I want to make sure it's there. And it was never there. I was just like, right. wow, man, like, God, this sucks. You know, I just want it to be available in case somebody wants to buy it. And um, because there was just some weird, like when we left Electro, we left the Masters and then we licensed those first two albums. And um, and then they went through and then you have to relicense them. So it's a cool thing to have the, the, the Masters or whatever it is called at this point. But then you always have to license it. If you don't, then you know you'll sell them through, and it'll be done. I mean, we experienced the same thing with Saint um, with the first three uh, Christmas records, which are actually reissuing too. Metal Blade is reissuing those now because we worked out of Christmas, which is awesome. Um, they actually forgave our debt, which was a very large sum of money, and they 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 forgave it, which was pretty awesome and, and pretty cool. So we're excited about that. So for me, royalties are just like it's principle. I made the joke earlier as we started, but it's principle. I don't care if it's 10 bucks. I don't care if it's 10 grand. I don't care. I just want to get royalties is what we, this is what we, the whole purpose of what we do. Like you want to see a check that shows that you, that you're getting paid for this thing that you did. And it's like I said, it's principle. It, it really never matters what amount it is. Well, of course it does. But you know, I, when I get one, I'm just happy because it feels like it's, you know, it, it justifies what you did. So when those records weren't available, it was disappointing to me. Um, I think we've come for you all was always about because Nuclear Blast had that in Europe, but in the States it was like Sanctuary, which I also think went under. So, you know, I don't know, but but Megaforce has done a, a great job reissuing the stuff with cool vinyl and um, I'm, you know, I'm in debt to Missy Colazzo, who's, you know, the queen of the label and and it's been great. So that's all I ever want, you know, is just those things to be available. Yeah, I actually have We've Come For You All, which was reissued. It's a double vinyl. Had I been ready, I would have had this to, to show it off. But um, they reissued that in The Greater of Two Evils. Or, yeah, um, they reissued those at the same time. I think it was like three, four years ago. And then... Yeah, and then I have something that's really weird, which when you mentioned licensing, the light bulb went off. I have Sound of White Noise on yellow vinyl, which was reissued in the early 2000s, only in Spain. And wow. it's, it's licensed by Electra or something to that extent on it. Um, huh. And then, of course, being the music nerd that I am, I uploaded my catalog to Discogs and it had this whole write-up saying that, yeah, this was only available in Spain and this and that. Oh. And, and I found it at a, 
at a skateboard shop that a friend owns who also sells vinyl for whatever reason. Wow. <laughs> I picked it up a few years ago. So. Yeah, that's cool. I don't have that. I've never seen that. You know, I, there was a period of time uh, in the early 2000s where Beyond Records, which was a label that I think Alan Kovacs would manage Motley Crue and Motley Crue were with them, ironically, because they were on Electra when Anthrax was. Well, I think Motley was on the whole time. but um, and, and so they reissued Sound of White Noise and Stomp. And, um, and that was great, you know, and, and again, it, usually people make a certain amount of records and then they sell through and then, you know, it's up to the, the, the company to reissue it. Like that's what happened with Chrysalis and Metal Blade did the first three Saint records while back now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they sold through. And then and at that point, again, this is probably, man, like maybe 15 years ago now, um, where they said, okay, you want to do it again. Now you have to make double the amount. And it was like, it went from like, it was like 10 to 15,000 to like 30. And we're like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> see the size of the band here. Let's be honest with this. People went through and the, the diehards like got this. Now you're asking for double the sales. Like the fans already went and did it, who probably won it. Uh, that was quite greedy, I thought at the time. Like, and we they said no, which I understood. Um, anyways, it's a, it's a long story, but like I said, the cool thing is like the Chrysalis Records. We worked out a deal, and what's happening after 35 years is that people are getting their masters back. And and I guess that's one good thing about being old is that now we're we're so old that we can actually get our masters back. And a lot of labels want to work it out where they don't lose catalog because catalog is is giant let's face it for everybody whether it's this type of saint or tom petty it doesn't matter you know you don't want to lose those records that you made um so they're working out uh, arrangements and deals and 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 the artists have some leverage actually which is great maybe i'm telling too much information on, information on the business front and some of it i don't even probably know because joey deals with a lot of it but um it anyways in a nutshell that's kind of what happened and um it's actually going to be favorable and, and some of the royalties through streaming and stuff have been pretty artist favorable mm-hmm. um which is great you know because come on man you know you want to you want to make money you don't want to try to like everybody wants to make a living i don't give a shit if you're the most punk rock band or a hardcore metal band or you know, it, it, everybody wants to see something for the work they've done. It's just, it's just, like I said, it's principle. So. Yeah, that's funny. There was a discussion a few weeks ago, I think it was on Twitter, where Dino from Fear Factory responded to the whole thing about Kardashians wearing like T-shirts from metal bands. And he said, please wear my T-shirts. He says, I'd love to have a, a bump in sales. And there was somebody that started giving him shit about it. And I said, look, there's no musician that says, hey, I'd rather be flipping burgers all week and and playing, you know, at a club on, on the weekends. Everyone who dreams about being a musician wants to make money off of this. And if you realistically, if you're not trying to be, hey, man, I'm I'm cooler than you. I'm so metal that I don't give a fuck about selling anything like you just said, you know, or what you alluded to. Everyone wants to make something off of their craft. Well, I mean, if you don't make any money, the logic is you probably won't be able to continue to do it because it still costs money to fund it, to, to fund the project, you know, unless, I mean, how are you going to get in a studio and record it? You know, you you need the ability to, to do that and it costs money. So um, it's as simple as that, really, quite frankly. Um, yeah, 
You know, everybody shouldn't feel uh, embarrassed or uh, ashamed for wanting to make a living because that's how you can prolong your career. Otherwise, you're done. And then, then what? You know, so, uh, you know, Dino's correct in that what he what he's yearning for, and that is to have his band continue on because sales are helping promote it. And yeah, it's the point of this, you know, I mean, otherwise make an album, don't give it to anyone, you know, I mean, what, what? Like, that, yeah, there's nobody doing that. There's nobody doing that. You know what I mean? So as long as you do it with dignity, that's the key. You know, I think that's the key. As long as it's dignified, um, whatever that may be, um, you know, it, then I think it's all good. Awesome. The first time I interviewed you, and I think this is going to be like seven or eight interviews ago with you, uh, was when you were promoting La Raza. Uh Uh, At the time, we talked about Symbol of Salvation, uh, which is obviously the live album that you guys are about to release. Um, At the time, it was interesting because when we talked about the album, it seemed like there was still a bit of like pain when it came to discussing the album, obviously because of the loss of Dave and stuff like that. Um, In other interviews that we've done over the years where we've talked about symbol and especially the last time when we talked uh, for, for uh, punching the sky, you had talked about playing the album in its entirety. And it seemed like there was more of a joy when it came to discussing the album. Um, is that a fair assessment? And if so, what has changed you feel in this time in like the 10 years since we initially talked about it? Um, well, I don't, you know, remember too, is that obviously symbol was made kind of a Phoenix rising theory behind it. And then also I left afterwards, you know, and joined Anthrax and then the band disbanded for a while. So, that was another element to add to, you know, potentially what is perceived as some pain associated with it. I think everybody, though, internally uh, always looks at Symbol as this incredible accomplishment because really it almost didn't happen, simple as that. And, you know, I was a guy at the time after Dave died and it was fresh and we were like a month after his passing and just going, I don't, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to continue with this. Um, it was Gonzo and Joey, I'll give him credit, that actually kind of, you know, rallied the, the troops of ourselves and said, we have to put these songs out. We made them, we wrote them. Dave would be disappointed if we didn't. So um, then we, we, you know, we kind of had a powwow and we figured out how to do it. And that's why bringing in, in Jeff and Phil was a logical decision. But um, yeah, you know, I, I just always think it's a special record. I don't necessarily, um, you know, by doing the, when we did the tour, it became even clearer how a special of a record it was actually, because you, you play the songs every night, you play them in the set of the, the sequence of the record. And it was, it was cool. It just shows how, you know, versatile the record is. There's a lot of different vibes on it throughout. Um, every song is different from one another and, and it kind of encompasses the whole gamut with like, you know, rockers and, ballads and you know kind of unusual songs like Tainted Pass and you know the bluesy truth always hurts and the title track it's just a real diverse album and it became real clear every night playing it and how how well the songs are and there were songs that we hadn't played ever like uh Hanging Judge and uh Burning Question or if we did we played them once maybe twice but um it was cool to 
to bring those songs. You know, we played Rain of Fire a million times in Last Train Home, but um, it was cool to really kind of play those other tunes because they were super fresh and exciting every night. Not that Rain isn't, because it is. Um, you know, it's, it's a you know, classic song from the record, but just to play those songs we hadn't played was was really fun because we, they were just fresh still. So it's it's a special record, the Dave Jordan Connection. Uh, Brian Colstrom engineered it. He passed away a few years ago, and that was really sad. And he was part of it. Uh, obviously, Dave is on it with lead on Tainted, Tainted Pass. He wrote a lot of those songs. Uh, Metal Blade, coming back to Metal Blade for that record after after leaving and being with Chrysalis, um, doing the tour. Um, now the live record, it's just, everything about it is pretty, it's pretty special. Cool. And, um, I have a, a listener who his name is Mike Jones for the last, I guess the show at the Gramercy was recorded in 2018. Since 2018, he keeps asking me, what do you know about the, uh, the Saint live album? I was there. When's it coming out? What do you know about it? Let me know when you find out about it. So as soon as I saw that, there was something officially posted online about it. I sent it to him. I go, finally, your day has come. Um, maybe if you see a bald head in the crowd, you can say, hey, that's me. So, uh, <laughs> he, so wait, uh, Mike Jones, because I know Mike Jones. I don't know if it's the same Mike Jones that we're talking about. He was from Boston. Is that who you're talking about? or? He's- He's in, he's from all over the world, actually. Uh, Mike is actually was born in Spain at a, at a base, lived in Colorado. He lived all over the world because he was, you know, an an army brat. And um, so it's a different Mike than I know, but um, I probably met maybe this Mike Jones through the years, but uh, well, cool. I'm glad glad he's excited. And the DVD is great. You know, it really is cool. It's, um, you know, there's some cool banter in between songs. Well, I'm patting myself on the back, but, you know, storytelling type of stuff, talking about the origins of some of the songs. I'm always trying to add my, my, my sense of humor. You know, it's my, it's my uh, subliminal way of trying to improve my potential stand-up career, which will never happen. But uh, I'm always trying to keep it just feeling authentic and telling the stories and trying to give it a different vibe every night. You know, I think that's the key to seeing performances of bands um, is to change. I mean, you're playing a record in its entirety, so obviously that's the same. But I do like changing sets up. I do change like changing up the banter. There was a time in, in my career where I would write what I was going to say down, and I don't do that anymore. I just speak off the cuff, and 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 I want it to be different every night. I want every show to feel different, you know. So um, that's real important to me. Cool. And I've been lucky enough to see the the screener, and it looks really cool. Um, just, I mean, aesthetically looks cool, sounds cool. And, you know, for me, so many live albums that come out now just don't have that special feeling that old live albums had. And to me watching this, I was getting goosebumps the entire time, remembering of what it was like to listen to symbols for the first time and remembering what it was like, you know, to listen to certain songs over the years. Cause obviously there are certain songs that stick out. And like you said, there are others that you kind of forgot about because you haven't listened to them as as much. Hanging Judge happens to be one of the songs that I've listened to the most over the years. Um, but um, to me, it was cool. It's like, holy shit. Yeah, this song was on there. This is great. So it was almost like being reintroduced to the whole album uh, over again. Um, how much did you guys 
work on, you know, the input with what it was going to look like and what the shots that, you know, ended up being in, in the Blu-ray or DVD ended up being, what, what was, were you guys allowed to, um, to work on that side of things or are there other people at the label handling that? Um, well, the people that did a lot of the camera stuff were Vince from the label, Vince Edwards, and then Stephanie Cabral, who's a friend of ours as well, who, who does photography and um, we've known for years and we have a, a long relationship with, and they both were involved in the filming of it, um, at least from the Gramercy part. You know, we filmed a few shows, um, but the Gramercy is the primary source of it. There's a couple slip-ins of other things. I'm not going to lie about it because I don't lie, for better or worse. Um, and really, most of the audio was um, was was from the direct show from New York. We had to, you know, we we fixed a couple little things. I'm not going to lie, but it ain't like a whole overall redo like certain live albums were even in the '70s. None I will mention. However, um, they still are great records. But hey, um, but you know, it's um, it's pretty authentic. It's pretty real. You know, there's a couple mistakes. Like Joey would say, "You are you okay with that?" I'm like, eh, you know. My voice flubs a little bit there, but it sounds live, you know, so let's just keep it, you know. So um, we were involved in it. Joey mixed it, and I do think it sounds great. As a matter of fact, The Truth Always Hurts actually debuted today on YouTube, so that was really cool. And, and again, that was cool that that was the first song because um, it's a little different than, um, than a lot of the other tunes. And we always liked that song. That's another one we didn't play too much live. It's hard to sing. Some pretty high parts in that for me. Um, but uh, it came out great. I just watched it because we were supposed to do a it debut like at eight this morning, and it was a live chat just for the period of that song, of the song, and I forgot about it. Um, and uh, I was like, darn. So then I went back and looked at it, and then there were some nice comments about it from the fans, and we're grateful. Cool. So we have uh, Brad in the chat asking, what song off of the album that you hadn't played uh before was one of your favorites to do um you know let's throw like you know i've told those like hang judge you know truth always hurts for sure tame bass i mean those were all great i love burning question because when we first started playing that one it actually was like i like i, I you know what's funny is the, the original demo of burning question I, I think is still the best which if you if you have the metal blade record uh, the symbol record that came out of few years back when we reissued it with all the demos and mm -hmm. Brian's interview. I don't know if you know that one. Um, I actually thought the demo was still the better version of that song for some reason. Um, because just sometimes it works like that. But um, when we started playing it, I was like, okay, yeah. And then for some reason, I had this thing in my mind and I started talking about it saying, this song sounds like an old arena rock song from the eighties and nineties. And so I kind of made a joke about that, like alive a few times of like, I know we're at a club, but let's pretend we're at, you know, it's a 15,000 seat arena because this is an arena rock song. And then once I kind of said that and we had that kind of vibe, it really just kind of took off. So it was one of those songs that we didn't play a lot, if ever. And then once kind of perceived it as that, it, it felt different and it was, uh, it was great to play live. So I'll say that one. Cool. Um, you guys have kind of flip-flopped between studio album, live album, studio album, live album. Could you envision doing that going forward or does it just have to feel right to put out more live content in the future? Um, 
Well, since you mentioned that, I probably would say let's stay away from doing that. I mean, this DVD and live album is going to be really special. So I think, you know, that should that should carry on for a while in people's minds and memory. Um, I, you know, eventually we would like to make a new record. Um, I'm not quite there mentally yet to do that, to be honest, mainly because, you know, we really haven't, usually what, you know, a band does, you make a record, you go to tour, you play some of those songs live, you're excited, and then, then you, you kind of burn out of playing live, and then you go, okay, let's make a record. That's the standard formula for most bands, of course, right. but we haven't done that. We haven't played Punching the Sky, so we haven't played any of those songs, so... Um, we're doing some shows at the end of the year, only five for now, but we're playing with Black Label Society here on the West Coast of America, and we're really excited and looking forward to that. And we get to play those songs that we haven't played yet. So um, once we go through that phase of playing them, then maybe then we'll be in the mindset of, of working. I mean, I'd like to say I was, you know, as creative as, you know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, just a writing machine, but I'm really not. <laughs> but who is? Right. Yeah, I've, I've heard varying opinions from different bands, you know, some that, like you said, you know, want to make sure that, you know, they put out a great album. So they want to make sure that those songs get exposure while there are others that do that are lucky enough to continuously write stuff who just want to, you know, just put out whatever comes to mind, whether it's an EP, whether it's a single, so on and so forth. But, you know, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I mean, I think Punching the Sky for at least a lot of people that follow my show when we did end of year favorites, punching the sky was number one. I would have to say on the majority of people that, that chimed in. So I, I get it. You know, you guys made an important album and, and want to make sure that those songs are heard. Well, that's very nice of everybody who did that. And um, you know, we, we thought it was a great record too. We're really uh, excited about it and we could have held off and releasing it. Um, but it, to me, it made no sense to do that, you know, obviously because it was during the time of, of people clamped down. And um, to me, I was an important time to release music because you needed to escape, you know, the, the realities of what's happening. So music was pivotal. Um, you know, plus, we're just quite frankly, we're just not big enough of a band to go, well, you know, we're going to hold on to coordinate it with our arena tour. And it's like, we're not doing playing arenas so, uh, you know there's just no reason to do that i understand if like the food fighters would do it it makes sense but for saying it just it didn't matter so um you know it'll we're gonna play some shows we're gonna do some rehearsing as a matter of fact i haven't even like rehearsal songs yet because i still don't want to burn out on them yet you know so um i'm gonna start preparing here in the next couple of weeks but you know i just i i i figured i'd i'd postpone it as long as possible because I just don't want to like two months in of, of practicing and going, Oh God, I'm already kind of bored of these songs, which I don't think I would be, but I really want to avoid that. So. Right. Years ago, you told me that to get ready for tours at that time, you were singing along to, uh, I think it was the first rainbow album perhaps. Yeah. Or, Could be. Yeah. Um, all rising. <laughs> there you go. Um, if you were to start today to prepare for, for that tour, what would you be singing along to? Well, I would start singing the same songs. That's what I would do. Like, I haven't been doing that. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a show with Metal Allegiance this uh, Saturday in Long Island. It's going to be the first show I actually performed live since the Mega Cruise, I think, is when Saints last show it was. So, uh, other than the live stream. But, um, uh, so I'll be the first time I'll get on stage in front of human beings. So it's, I'm like, Looking forward to them leaving to New York tomorrow. And I always love playing with those guys, you know, super talented and 
they're just amazing, you know, legends. So it'll be cool to always play with them and it'll be fun. Um, so, but, um, you know, I've been working on getting my voice ready to, to play those songs and prepare for them. And, uh, I'm looking forward to that and that'll be fun. Um, but in terms of the Saints stuff, like I just haven't been really ready to, to, to start practicing those songs yet. So I've been, I've been holding off actually. No. Gotcha. Okay. So for Metal Allegiance, what, what are you singing along to outside of your songs? Are you singing along uh, to your well, we're doing. Well, I don't want to tell people too much of what we're doing. I want to leave something special. We are playing a couple of the, the original songs. Like the song I sang was uh, Bound by Silence, which was uh, on the second Metal Allegiance record. So we're going to do that. And then we're doing Dying Song, which is a song that, um, that Phil Anselmo actually originally sang on the record of the first record. But me and Marco goes together. We'll sing it as a duo, um, and Mark's going to be there. It's just going to be him and I as singers go, and then you know it's um, uh, so usually sometimes there's different people that come in and sing with it, um, but this time it's just going to be me and Mark. Um, but um, Chuck Billy usually comes out and, and is part of it, but I don't think maybe he must be busy or something this time. Um, but you know, they were doing some covers and. Um, you know, we're doing some Anthrax songs that I did during the era, so we are doing a couple of those songs from from the John Bush era of Anthrax too. So um, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Awesome. Um, since we were talking live, too much because I don't want to reveal yeah. too much. That's why I'm a little bit vague in that one. Yeah, um, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely understandable. You're trying to keep it special for the people that go out and exactly get to the show. Totally understandable. Um, we were talking about your live album a moment ago. Do you have any favorite live albums that you grew up listening to? Absolutely. I mean, I think you can't ever go wrong with um, Kiss Alive, obviously, at least in the East. Um, Strangers in the Night would probably be my top three. Um, I think I wore those records out and to this day still listen to them. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to play a couple of songs with Metal Legions of two of those three records. Um, so, um, you know, I, I mean, of course you could put Live and Dangerous from Thin Lizzy in there as well. And um, let me think here. And those, I think those are, would be my favorite records for sure. Um, you know, they just changed my life. Uh, at least in the East for sure. It was just, you know, I mean, when that came out, we heard that it was just, you know, wow, you know, it just, it just went to a whole nother level of, of blowing my friends and my mind away. And then Strangers is amazing too. As a matter of fact, Joey just gave me as a gift, um, the new box set that came out with that and contains, um, like seven other shows that they compiled the whole record from. And it was really cool because there was a bunch of songs from that uh, Obsession record, which Ironically enough, that was the tour for that record, but yet Only You Can Rock Me is the only song from Obsession on that, which in retrospect, looking back, I thought was kind of weird. Um, but on this box set, there's like Hot and Ready and Cherry and Pack It Up, which are amazing songs. So I was really excited to have that and, and listen to that. So, uh, you know, and Kiss Alive, come on, that was my introduction. I remember playing that at El Sereno Junior High School where me and a bunch, you know, Gonzo and Joey and various friends went to to junior high school and going in the library and taking it out at the school library had to probably show a library card and you had maybe a, a small window of lunch or something that you would be able to play the record and then you had to return it so weird 
Um, but it was, you know, that was just like, oh my God, you know, deuce, you know, the beginnings is, I'm sure millions of people can relate to that, of course, but, um, you know, it was pretty eye-opening. And I saw Kiss first show ever at Anaheim Stadium, I believe it was 1976. I was like 12 years old and oh, wow. I went with a group of friends. I think my mom took us and um, Ted Nugent opened, which must have been like free-for-all album or maybe even the first Ted Nugent record. And, um, you know, it's Destroyer, forget about it. And I was just, I was like wide-eyed doe walking around, people painted with their faces. And I was probably a little scared because I was young, you know, I was, I was it was a lot to be exposed to, but it was also just very eye-opening and riveting. Cool. Um, so uh, actually, since you brought up KISS, there was a KISS-related question in the chat. So uh, Michael James Jackson produced Creatures of the Night, which fans rave about to this day. Do you have memories of him working or working with him on March of the Saint? I do, you know, it wasn't one of the most fond memories, nothing against Michael as a person. He was a very nice man. I think he was kind of going through something personal in his life at that point, And he was a bit disassociated um, with that record. Um, we did a lot of the stuff, Chris Minto, who's the engineer. And that's why we actually used him on Raising Fear because we love Chris. Um, I think Michael, he might have been going through a divorce. I don't remember exactly now. It was a long time ago. But um, we, one of the reasons we're excited to work with him is because Creatures of the Night. And he, I believe, did lick it up, too. And those records were powerful. And we, we were excited. But for some reason, it was just, um, you know, I don't know what it was. But I think he was just a bit disengaged. And, um, um, you yeah, know, whatever. It's just another story in the life of Armored Saint. I don't, like, look back and you know, harbor any ill will by any means. The record sounds the way it does. You know, it certainly could have been power, a little more powerful. Um, the basic tracks were probably a little meaner and grittier than the, the record came off, a little more polished than I would like to have had it. Plus, we spent way too much money on it. I think we spent like somewhere around 350 grand making that record. And that was, a, I mean, people were making records for a lot of money during that time. And we were in Ocean Way Studios, which, you know, we were in one room and Super Tramp was in another room and Barbara Streisand was in another room. And we're like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like this, <laughs> like what are they, these are really huge artists. And what are we doing here? Um, as a matter of fact, I recorded a lot of the vocals at a little studio called Clover, um, which was probably better because it was small and, you know, it just felt like a little more vibey. And, um, but I mean, Ocean Way was great. It was amazing. The studio is still there. I don't know what it's called something else now, but still there. I drive by it all the time. It's right down the street from where I'm at right now. But, and it was great to be in there, but it was just like, ding, ding, ding. The, the, you know, the money was just going. And, um, you know, I mean, I wish people were, were like keeping better track of what we were spending, but I guess everybody thought, you know, we were going to be these mega, mega stars and it didn't quite turn out to be that way. And it actually did put us in debt for the rest of our career, quite frankly. But um, hey, that's life and live and learn. What are you going to do? Um, and it is a great record. And I love March. And, you know, let's face it, March and Can You and Madhouse and Seducer and, and Glory Hammer, Stricken by Fate. I mean, these are like songs that are super associated with Armored Saints history, for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, nothing against Michael, just a little disengaged. Yeah, that's what I would say. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I have a few other fan submitted questions here from 
from my Patreon. Um, it's it's a, another thing related to a show. So we have Jerry in Long Island who asked, do you guys remember the gig at Stony Brook University with Quiet Riot? Wow, that's funny you say that. Okay, so Jerry needs to go to the Metal Legion show because he's in Long Island, if he still is living there. Yeah. Um, number two is I just did an interview with the guys from Metal Legion's uh, radio show, and, and the DJ asked me, what was your first time ever playing the island? And I mentioned that show, Stony Brook. I think it was Stony Brook University. It was a college. Um, and we played there with Quiet Riot and White Snake. Um, I don't remember that much about that particular gig other than it was there. I remember Stony Brook, as you know, it was, a, it was just a name I wouldn't have forgotten. And, um, and it was on Long Island. But I don't remember much about the gig, nothing against. I'm sorry, Jerry. Um, but I'm sure it was great. And it was a fun tour. And we got to see Whitesnake every night, which was so amazing because they were, they were red hot right then. It was Slide It In record. And Coverdale was just a rock star. And um, John Sykes and, you know, Cozy Powell. And just an amazing wow. band. And Choir Riot was, you know, great too. And, um, they were kind of already slipping a little. You know, it was such a massive uh, record, Metal Health. And, and then by the second record, Condition Critical, it was already, they were already having their, or 15 minutes and it was starting to slip. But, you know, we it was, that was our first arena tour and we were so excited to be out there. And we played some big gigs on that tour. Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, um, Cobo Hall, which is where Kiss Alive was recorded, right. um, the Beat Theater in New York, and, you know, just some great venues. And it was our first tour. It was like, it was kind of a hard place to start because you started playing arenas. Right. Um, you know, can only go down from there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but uh, we weren't the, the, obviously the headliner, but yeah, it was pretty awesome, man. We were 21 years old, man. It was like, I always say that that was like my college education because um, when people were going to college, we were playing arenas. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Um, Mark Striegel from actually the Talking Metal podcast uh, asked, uh, will Armored Saint ever do a long old school tour instead of a few dates here and there like they're doing now? <laughs> In other words, you don't play enough, is what he's suggesting. <laughs> um, well, we, we did actually tour a lot on Winnipeg Sound, probably the most we have in years. So okay. uh, I think it's just a matter of the right tour. And I know that people, you know, when I say that, um, let me clarify my point. You know, well, number one, we're a bunch of guys in our mid-50s, late 50s, some of us. Um, going out and, like, roughing it in a van is not appealing. I, don't get me wrong, we did it. As a matter of fact, we did it on Simple Salvation, one of the most grueling tours I ever remember. Ten guys, band and crew, in a van, carrying a trailer, traveling around the country. Not the greatest tour. Ratchild America, Last Crack, were, this, were the bands we were touring with. It was a pretty rough tour. Um, the crew was creating this kind of mutiny and the tour manager. It was, it was a lot of dissension and we were way too tight. And I remember driving through the Rockies and thinking we were going to just fly off the cliff. It was, it was pretty treacherous actually. But, um, you know, it was a memory that I look back on now and laugh, but at the time it, it sucked quite honestly, it was, it was rough. And so I've done that and I don't want to do that again. There's no reason for me to do that because I won't be happy and then I won't have good shows. Um, want to do a tour correctly. Doesn't mean, you know, nobody's under any delusion about Armored Saint and the level of our fame. You know, we are what we are. And 
we do what we do and we make the money that's, you know, that we should be making according to promoters and what we're worthy of. But, um, but you want to do something that is fun and good and you're in a bus and you're doing a right tour and, and, and hopefully everybody coming home with a little money and, and happy and getting sleep and, and living like a, a human being. Um, you know, if you're 22, you can go out and rough it in a van, but you know, we, we just can't do it. So we want to do the right tour and that's what we're looking for. Um, so, and usually it's a support slot. We're certainly we're in headline. We did the simple tour of a headline tour and it was great. It was fun. It doesn't matter what the tour is. It's just like, it has to be the right tour. Uh, and that's what we're looking at. So, um, and we did a lot. We, you know, we toured Metal Church. Uh, we toured Queensryche. Uh, we toured with Saxon. So we did a lot of great tours. You know, UFO, we did a handful of shows. With. So and those are really you know, all amazing. Um, so it's just, you know, whatever it is, the right tour. And we already have a tour planned for the end of next year. Unfortunately, it's not till later than part of 22, which sounds like we're, we're not even in October yet. So it, it sounds like a long time away, but that's what some stuff is happening. But it'll be a real cool tour. It's going to be a pretty long tour. And it, it will be something I think old school fans are going to really dig. I can't say with who yet because it's just not um, been promoted. And I'm at a liberty to say who, but it's going to be a really cool tour. And um, it will be a pretty long one for us. So, um, so there you go. Yeah. And, and I think, again, going back to the interview that we did when La Raza came out, you also talked a bit about how, you know, your life had changed having kids and whatnot and, and having a family not wanting to tour as much as you had previously done. Obviously we're talking 10 years later as kids get older and as right. life continues to evolve and change. Right. So, so, well, so my daughter's not driving as she's 16 and driving and she'll be 17 next month. So she's driving, you know, I don't, although I did take them to school today and I always want to cherish those moments cause they are getting older, but, um, and my son's 14. So like they're older now. Um, yeah. So I, I was home for those in, in, to me pivotal years. Um, I don't think you get time back. That's one thing. You can always find a way to make money, but you right. cannot get the time back. That's something that's gone, you know? So um, if that was the case, I made that sacrifice personally, not even always probably um, with the band's agreement because they probably would have preferred touring more than me. Um, maybe not Joey because he has a daughter too that he was raising and she's at the same age. But on, um, you know, it's it was important to me to be there, you know, especially for my wife and I, and we tag team the way we raise our kids, and that's just the way it was. And uh, now they're older, and you know, my daughter will be in college here soon enough, so um, which is you know breaks my heart, but it's reality. Um, so it might be easier to go out on the road for a longer period of time now, and um, it's just it's just the way it worked out. Uh, father to father, and someone who currently sacrifices a lot for their kids for. A ten and eight year old, I understand exactly where you're coming from. So. I'm the main Uber driver. My son plays youth hockey. He plays a pretty high level, and he plays in a Valencia, which is about an hour here from LA. And I, I not only drive him, but I drive two other of his teammates. A lot of the time, I'm like the carpool dude, and so I know it's not you know the rock star that you imagine, but John Bush is really just the, the driver of his son. And he, so I mean that's that's just part of the the job description of my life. Yeah. Basketball at 7 a.m. on Saturdays after finishing my live show at 2 a.m. on on Saturday morning. So, I, hoops? yeah, my kids do. Uh, oh, your kids do. Oh, great. Awesome. Paul Gasol, Marcus Gasol, man, Spanish. Yeah. The Spanish team was amazing. Uh, they, you know, uh, you know, Ricky Rubio. I, I'm a huge basketball fan. So, I, that's cool. 
Yeah. Well, they're, they're definitely going to be in for a lot of transition now with the Gasol brothers retiring and, and a lot of the other, you know, Rubio is still what he's early thirties at this yeah. point. I remember when he was a kid. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. not sure. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Last thing that I want to ask you about, you guys recently released a video for Lone Wolf. Um, outside of me mentioning when we talked about the album last year, how much that album or that track specifically stood out to me. Uh, it was cool that a video came out of that. But also, what was it like to put that video together? Um, again, similar to what I asked you about the... Uh, the, the DVD before, how much input did you guys have on putting that video together? Uh, or was the story presented to you guys and how did they sell you on being kind of the main character there? Um, well, Robert is the director. He also did Missile the Gun and he also did um, End of the Attention Span. So he did both of those videos um, and it was awesome. It was so fun to do that. And um, it was a challenge, you know, because uh, I was, you know, doing this video um, that kind of made me uh, a little bit of an actor, which was uh, a unique experience for me, but it was fun to do that. And um, I thought it was great, you know, it really came out awesome. Like I said, Robert, the director is just super talented guy. He's incredible, actually. Um, some of those videos, I still can't believe how much we made those videos for, let alone um, you know, how they looked. Cause I mean, they looked so stellar and, and, you know, so it looks like something that was made in the eighties for like thousands and thousands of dollars. And, um, we pulled it off and he pulled it off to make it, you know, pretty reasonable as far as price goes. Um, but yeah, it's, it was cool. I, I mean, we, I, it was funny. I, I made the joke that we're like some big eighties MTV band because we had four videos, you know, which is ridiculous. Um, and they all look really amazing so it was fun to do lone wolf and and be that character and um you know the the guys actually were acting in it did a, did a really awesome job as well and it was fun so hopefully you know people get out there and check it out on youtube and um it's the last one we made of, of the four of the four uh songs from that record and also there's no one climbing water towers there's no one performing any type of dangerous activity uh at, at this point in time. Well, those guys did have guns and, um, you know, uh, and we were in a pretty sketchy part of downtown LA where we filmed it. So I was like going, this could easily surreal <laughs> move into a real kind of moment because we were like, when I was looking around during some of those times, I really was looking around me like who is here because it was a pretty rough area. But uh, so my acting wasn't much of a stretch on that. But those guys did a great job. And like I said, Robert, he's going to be a star. He's such a uh, creative director, a young guy. He's going to do, he's done a bunch of great videos. He's, you know, he, he's going to do, I, I see that guy making movies um, or working in television for sure because he's really, really talented and, and does things easily. Like he's like, he'll do a scene and, you know, videos can be a long, arduous process. You can, you can spend day, like, a, you know, a whole day shooting and, he would do a couple takes and be like, I got it. And I was like, oh, awesome. I got it. And I was like, oh, great. You know, so otherwise it's like, take 30. Here we go again. And, you know, it could be, it could just be long and, and just tiresome. But it, it wasn't like that. He really, he got what he wanted and he got it pretty on the ball. So it was, it was cool to, to work with him like that. And um, 
you know, I, it's funny in Lone Wolf because I'm the kind of the bad guy, you know, I'm like the guy who, who takes off. And, um, you know, when it was first pre presented, you know, I was like, wow, do you want to be that? And I even then Gonzo was like, well, do you want to be showcased on that? Well, I'm like, well, number one, it's, it's a video. I'm not really doing that in life. It's just a video, you know? So um, I was like, let's do it, you know? Cause like, you know, not look, Armored Saint always has this reputation of being nice guys. You know, we really do. That's kind of our, 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 our background. And I really think we are. I'm not saying I can't be a dick. I can be a dick sometimes just like anybody else, but really for the most part, we're, we're pretty nice guys and we have that reputation. And I love that reputation. I want to keep that, but it was funny. It's like, it was like, well, that's, you know, because then we had this idea, maybe we'll do like a Robin Hood thing where he goes and gives it to, you know, some homeless person and or, you know, a shelter. And I was like, let's not do that. You know, like, let, let, let's, let's make it like, you don't know what he's doing with it, but he kept it. I go, it, it's good for me to like, to be that guy, to not always be, you know, the good guy. And um, I was glad about that. So again, it's a video. It's not like I really did that in life. You know, so. Right. It reminded me of the uh, briefcase in Pulp Fiction, where you don't know what's in the briefcase. You don't know right. when the video ends. It's like, oh, what did the guy? What did this guy do with that money? You know. Right. Right. Exactly. Hey, maybe I did take it to a shelter. Maybe I did give it to a homeless yeah. person. They could certainly benefit from it because it's really bad here in los angeles but um but that's the ambiguous part that will will leave yeah. the people we'll be fodder for the fans for uh for years to come there you go there you go what is the longest you've ever been on a video shoot wow um well it's probably something i did with anthrax i don't remember i i don't think anything probably exceeded like two days realistically but probably there were two day shoots um i don't remember exactly to be honest um but i do remember the inside out video for anthrax which was a killer video the one where it was kind of based on the twilight zone episode and we're on the plane and it was raining and that was a killer video and i remember they wanted me to wear these um these uh contact lenses um which was really unnecessary because i was it was raining and well we had what it looked like it was raining it was just heavy like water that we were spraying on us and um, so you couldn't really see it until the very end of the video, but I wore them and I, I like, I don't wear contact lenses. I could never put anything in my eye. That's why I wear glasses because I just couldn't do it. And I had these things in, these were not like soft contact lenses. They were hard lenses and I wore them for hours. And man, by the end of the day, I could not see, I could not see. So there's that funny scene at the very end where they go in the plane and they show you know, like the, the characters, the band, and then they, they kind of focus on me and I kind of look at the video and I, I have a sad look and I can barely open my eyes because I literally could not open my eyes because my eyes were, I don't think I could see for like two days after that because my eyes were just jacked up from those lenses. So I do remember that being pretty horrible in retrospect, but the video is great. It came out amazing, but um, God, that was, that was brutal. <laughs> Again, the things you do for your for your craft. <laughs> I did it. Awesome. I want to thank you for your time. Again, it is always awesome to uh, speak to you and awesome to speak to you for the first time like this, um, uh, face-to-face, per se. And um, the album drops the 22nd of October, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it does, yeah. 
Yeah, I have the Blu-ray and vinyl pre-ordered. It is that good. It is well worth it. If anyone is remotely a fan of the band, I definitely uh, I do recommend that you check it out. And um, to keep up with you guys, it's armoredsaint.com, right? That's correct. And you know what? Let's do another interview in the future. And what we could do is one where maybe we take a lot more fan questions and stuff, you know, because that's always fun. Um, awesome. So that'll, that'll give us a premise for the next for the next interview we get. Uh, no problem at all. I'll uh, I'll, I'll bug Nikki about it. No problem. Okay, great. Well, thanks again, dude. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. This was a lot of fun. And uh, stay safe there in uh, Spain. And hopefully we, we'll come to Spain next year and, and play. Because, you know, we've only played one show ever in, in this the country to Spain. That was the Barcelona Metal Fest a few years ago. Maiden was on the bill. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, so, and I did many shows with, with Anthrax in Spain that were always just uh, some of the best ever. So uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Thanks to all the fans internationally. For all the support, you know, we obviously can't do it without you. And we'll see you on the road somewhere sometime, I promise. Awesome. Thank you for your time, sir. Right, see you soon. All right. See you. Peace. All right. So there's my interview with the one and only John Bush. Always fun to talk to. Um, easily my favorite interview. Um, I, I mentioned this to somebody today, a, f- a friend of mine here who plays in, in a band. Uh, when I first started podcasting, I was doing shows, uh, in Spanish because I wanted to do something different. I felt that people weren't you know, doing that here. And then I met a lot of uh, resistance from the old guard here. And I remember reaching out and saying, Hey, can I interview John Bush? I've been podcasting for 12 years now. So I interviewed John 10 years ago for the first time. So it was two years in. And I remember, um, wait, I got a response within the day saying I can interview John. I said, why am I busting my ass to try to get interviews with people who are like rock stars in their own head? (laughs) You know, maybe their mother and their friends know about them. And to top it off, they're saying, okay, I'll do the interview, but you have to pay for drinks or you have to pay me for the CD or shit like that. I'm like, wait a second. John Bush isn't asking me for shit. John Bush is an artist who's near and dear to me uh, because of his importance. His lyrics, you know, have become part of the uh, soundtrack of my life. Uh, John Bush, Armored Saint, Anthrax are things that I reach to when times are tough, when things are great, when I need a kick in the ass, you know, all these things. So why am I wasting my time with some local yokel who doesn't even appreciate the fact that I'm trying to help bring their music to, to the masses? So not saying that I have the masses behind me, but you guys get where I'm coming from. So, um, awesome to talk to him. I had a bunch of things prepared and, um, I will, uh, yeah, it seems like he wants to come back and and do this again with more, uh, fan interaction. So we'll see if we can, uh, pull this off. Um, definitely I will talk to, um, to a lot of the, the powers that be, um, you know, other friends like Mr. Sinzak and, and, and Mr. Dahl, maybe we could uh, uh, somehow cross promote 
and uh, and and have people come on and you know submit questions. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. He's he's always again. He's always been very good to the show. He's always been great. And I think at this point it's eight or nine interviews deep. And there are certain things that I haven't even released that he that he's done for me uh, with regards to, for example, the, the classic albums series. So uh, there you go. Uh, thank you guys in the chat. Uh, all you guys that were able to join. I realize this is a tough time for, for people uh, because of the, the time of day. It's always tough. Uh, I get that Fridays are, are tougher people as well. Mike Jones, who stepped in, you know, he's got a lot of things going on with his kids and whatnot at that time. And I respect that. You know, I, I appreciate even if you can spend five seconds with me because I realize there are a million other things you could do with your time, but you decide to spend time with me here on signals from Mars or watch the replay or listen to the podcast when it comes out. Uh, in any event, um, this hour has flown by and um, thanks again for John for coming on. Thanks to Nikki law from breaking the law PR. She just started the company and she has, there isn't another PR person that I could give higher praise to whether I've dealt with her at century media or metal blade or now her own company. She's always gone above and beyond for me and never had me deal with any nonsense. So thank you, Nikki for setting this up. I will have Joey from armored saint on next week. So, um, uh, there you have that. She helped set that up as well. So if you guys want to submit, especially my patrons, if you guys want to submit questions for um, for Joey, there's still time to do that. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Was a blast. Thanks for all you guys being here. And that is it. We will see you on Friday. Uh, we will see what we have on Friday, what type of a show we have. I'm scrambling to get a guest uh, for that show, but I'm sure that I'll be able to to do something. But uh, regardless, it will be cool to uh, catch up with you guys. Uh, that is it. See you guys. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 